I invite you to open your Bible to what Pastor Melanie just read a minute ago, Matthew chapter 19. We've been talking about lessons we've learned from different people in the Bible. Today, we're talking about lessons on adulting. Lessons on adulting. Growing up is really a tough assignment. It's not easy in the world in which we live. When I was a little guy in first grade, then second, I had the same teacher for first grade and second grade. Her name was Mrs. Holtman. Most of the same students went from first grade to second grade that were in my class. Others were in other first grade classes. We had quite a few, but they were in different classes. But our class moved up and she moved up with us. So it was a a neat experience. And we had the privilege of knowing most of the people in our class, obviously, because we were all together and, and we knew each other from the year before. So something that was very interesting for me was to listen to Mrs. Holtman and to see how she managed the class. And there was a boy whose name was Charles. Charles' dad was at school so much, it was unbelievable. He would meet with the administration, he would meet with the teachers, and I don't know what all was going on. And I never really saw Charles' mother too much. I'm not sure where she was in this whole story. I don't really know her story. It wasn't really mine to know. But Charles uh, needed a little bit of extra guidance, I guess. And because he would, he would whip out his little things from his pockets, and Mrs. Holtman would get up to start teaching, and she would say, now, Charles, give me your play pretties. That was her phrase. That was her request. That's her expectation. She said, I don't want you to be distracted or distract the other people around you, so I've got to have it. Let me have it. And she would get from him, and he'd have to put away his play pretties. You know what I found? I've grown, lived a while. Play pretties still are a part of our life, aren't they? Uh, The price of the toys are a little different as we get bigger, but we still like our play pretties. Uh, It kind of changes, but we still like our play pretties. As a matter of fact, when we go through our teen years and head toward our adult years, we still have, have trouble sometimes coming to grips with our play pretties, where they belong in our life, and what time we should give to them, and how we should interact with them, and how we should interact with the people around us. Stay tuned to the message today. It might be a little bit of help to you. I don't know. But growing up and adulting is nothing new. Joseph was forced to grow up really quickly because his brothers sold him into slavery. Then he was over at Potiphar's house, a servant guy, really, owned by them, still a slave. Then we know that he's in prison. His schedule was set by another. And so we know that his life was really tough and challenging, yet he was still called to grow up, wasn't he? He was still called to become an adult. Mary was asked as a very young person to become the mother of Jesus. She says, how in the world can this be since I'm not even married? How can this be? She was growing up in a hurry. David was anointed to become king, yet he would not be king for a number of years. He was still out watching the sheep. He had a long way to go before he became an adult. Adulting. It's something that we're all called to do. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. It's talking about the Bible. I seek you with all my heart, God. Do not let me stray from your commands. Cultural influences are very big in our culture today. They have always been big. That's nothing new. It just seems new when you experience it. It's nothing new. Young adults have always had to decide, will I stay up late? Will I sleep in late? Will I play games? 
watch movies? Will I stay up all night? Who will I hang out with? The Bible talks about this as the Bible is very relevant to our everyday living. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. It says, bad company corrupts good character. In Proverbs 13 and 20, it says this, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. We have to decide what hobbies and what habits and what pleasures we will embrace. One of the most amazing things that I really didn't anticipate when I became a pastor was how big the video game industry would be. When I was a kid, we had some games, but Atari, Nintendo, and things like that, you know, you had to go down the arcade pretty much to play those kind of games, and you hung out, and they had closing hours. They closed, you had to leave, but they don't have closing hours on the gaming system you could bring to your house, and you know what? It basically just says as soon as you're able to mess with a joystick, you can start playing this. Little kids can start playing the games, but it doesn't have an age limit, does it? And it doesn't close. And it's amazing to me how many 40 and 50-year-old people and probably beyond are still playing a lot of games and are still having trouble managing this area of their life. Nothing wrong with the games, but they're still having trouble managing this area of your life. Do you have any boundaries or check or balances, I wonder? I don't know. Psalm 101 says this, I will not look for approval on anything that is vile. I will hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. Then it asks a question. Will I embrace healthy or unhealthy habits? We have to ask ourselves these questions. We have to ask questions like, will I be accountable to anyone anywhere? We have to ask, will I get a job? Will I work? If I live at home, will I pay rent? What will I do with this? Proverbs 18 and 22 says this. When it talks about marriage, it says, a man's greatest treasure is his wife. Gentlemen, did you know that if you're married? Did you know you're sitting by a treasure today? Just nudge that treasure real good if you would. And uh, just make sure that you're both awake. And then it says, she is a gift from the Lord. Did you know that? Your wife is a gift from the Lord. Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, yeah. All the men say, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. You better not say no. <laughs> We're going to send you straight to counseling after this service is over. You will get in no lunch. You want a hot meal? Light your cornflakes on fire, baby. That's what she's going to say to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Keep going, Kev. Keep going. We have to think about things like that. Um, adulting. Some of you have never heard the word. Most of you have came around just a few years ago in a text that was cited as one of the first times it was used. But Americans turn nouns and English speakers turn nouns into verbs. We have rain turned to rained. We have Google turned to Googled. We have adult turned to adulting. And some of you that are employers are trying to figure out how do I help my young members become an adult as you're there to parent them the rest of the way for what they did not already learn. What does adulting mean? It means to behave in an adult manner and to engage in activities associated with adulthood. That's what he's talking about. It's tough for parents to know how to let go of kids sometimes. And all of us aren't good at it. We didn't receive a parenting manual. And we're not so good at releasing our kids into adulthood. It's a real challenging time. Professors may adjust the way your child thinks when you send them off to school. Cultural movements like we have in our cultural today. The... Um, the agenda of, of, of sex and gender identity. 
uh, some of the movements in our society? Will you embrace law? What do you do with the Black Lives Matter movement? What do you do with some of these types of things that are happening? How do you view culture? Many people are asked, do they take their faith anywhere? Alicia, when she was sharing her story, was sharing about how she moved her faith from anything her grandmother had to herself as I interviewed her today. She was talking about that. We have to learn how to say goodbye to things that maybe aren't going to be what we thought they would be. We have to say goodbye to a boyfriend or a girlfriend we thought would be the one we married, but it ends up they're not the one after all. It's not going to happen now or maybe never. Sometimes we have to say goodbye to a college we thought we would go to, or a scholarship has to be gone now. It won't work for some reason. We don't know. We may have to pursue a different degree like somebody did in their communication with us just last week. They talked about we were studying for this, but we had to change, and now we're studying for this. Both noble, but we had to change into something different. That would be a different way of going. Some of you have had to change from your your pursuit of sports. You thought you would be in sports, but your Achilles said no, or your ACL said no, or your shoulder said no, or your elbow said no. Something said no, and it's gone. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 puts it this way. It says this, when we were children, when we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do, but when we grew up, we quit our childish ways. The call is to move to an adult. This is a call. So when we go to the passage that was read just a little bit ago by Pastor Melanie, we look in Matthew chapter 19, 26 through 30, and we see that there are a couple of discoveries that take place here by the people that are highlighted for us in the passage. And the discoveries would be important choices and how these important choices affect our now and how they affect our eternity that is just ahead of all of us. First, we discover your connection with eternity. We discover your connection with eternity. This is a very big deal. The young man had some good questions and he had some good qualities. His qualities are standing out. He's a hardworking dude, evidently, because he has accumulated a lot of stuff. He is a rich person, and the Scripture would let us know that he was a wealthy man. So evidently, he works, and he manages what he has worked for. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10 puts it this way, For even when we were with you, Paul says, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. In other words, if you don't work, you, you don't eat. Man, that's a kind of a tough thing for any society to hear, isn't it? And it's tough for our society to hear today. If you don't work, you don't eat. But he says, I'm motivated. I'm going to work. I'm going to eat. And he ate well. He had resources. But he's filled with questions. Look at verse 16 of your Bible. It says this. He has some interesting questions. What good thing do I do, he asked Jesus, to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, only God is that good. In other words, your goodness is not going to get you there. It's not anything that you can do in any kind of skill set, any kind of talent you have, any kind of earning you can do that will ever get you into heaven, that will ever provide eternal life for you. None of those things can. And he says in verse 18, but what particular thing do I do? What particular thing do I do, Jesus? And Jesus says, you need to do what God tells you to do. You need to do what God tells you to do. And then Jesus listed about half of the Ten Commandments. He listed about half of them, mostly as it relates to our friendships and relationships with others around us. And in verse 20, look what happens. The young man says, well, I've done that, but there's something still missing. 
What's left? I've missed something. What is left in verse 20? And Jesus answers in verse 21. Look at it. He says this. Isn't this something how Jesus always knows where our nerve center is? You ever think about that? He knows right where it is, doesn't he? Mm. Jesus knew where his nerve center was. Jesus knew he was doing good on those first half of the commandments that he had mentioned. But now he goes on and starts meddling. He quit preaching and started meddling. You see this? He starts meddling with his dude. Right here, he gets right up in his kitchen, and he says, I want you to sell everything, give it to the poor, and start setting up wealth in heaven. Wow! Jesus didn't tell everybody that. He didn't tell every wealthy person that. As a matter of fact, Zacchaeus was a wealthy person, and Jesus did not tell him, go sell everything, give to the poor, and then follow me. He didn't tell him that, did he? He brought salvation to his house, and Zacchaeus said, you know what? I wronged a few people. He didn't wrong everybody. He wasn't wealthy just because he wronged people. He was wealthy and had wronged people. So he said, of those people that I've wronged, I'll go give four times back to them what I took. It's only about a sixteenth or thirty-second of his goods were ill-fated gain. So he said, I'll take those back. <laughs> so he'd take those back. But Jesus didn't tell him to sell everything. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He knew this was the nerve center of this guy because this man had some big decisions to make. He was very covetous of his stuff. He had neglected the poor, evidently, perhaps even to the point of, of really being wrong, wrong in doing that. And then he loved his possessions. His love for his possessions was higher than his love for God. And he wasn't willing to negotiate that at all. He wasn't willing to let go of it. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. He says, I don't know of a sin that is more in vogue in this generation than greed. I challenge each of you to come to terms with greed. Greed stood in the way of this young man's ability to follow after Jesus. Don't let it stand in your way, he says. And this young man had a decision, greed or God. And he chose, I want to pursue all of the things I can get. All of the experiences I can have, all of the things I can do, instead of giving himself wholly over to God, he said, I'll give myself to that. As a young person, you've got a lot of choices to make. All of us have choices to make. Big decisions that are life lanes, they set the sail for our life, it seems. What college we'll go to, or will we start a career at a, at a Votech school somewhere, a trade school, or will we simply jump into a career when we get started and let that be? We choose our career. You and I choose our companion. And a big decision often is made when we're young is whether we'll follow after Christ. What will you do with Jesus? That's the biggest question. Caleb Dressel has five Olympic gold medals. And he said, even though he has all of those, he went back into swimming when he went into college and he started getting his focus put into place. On his shoulder he has a large eagle tattooed. And NBC did not ask him about that eagle because the backstory is something they may not have wanted. I don't know what's wrong with my speaker system here. But anyway, I'm not going to blame him and blast him more than what I just did, only to say this. He said, it is, a, it is a favorite Bible verse, Isaiah 40, 31. 
But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He had grown up in a Christian home. He had gone through a rough patch, but in college, he got his act back together. And he started focusing, and he said this, I started swimming again and really just put all my trust in God, knowing that he's going to take care of everything for me, good and bad. And this rich young ruler in our passage today, he couldn't trust God like that. He said, no, I'm going to manage this. And it always seems that there's an area of our life that we think we know how to do better than God, our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, knows how to handle. But if you stop with just that, you've had quite a lesson. But I think the lesson continues on because the disciples are standing here listening and they're hearing this and they realize another discovery. The disciples discovered that they must make their own choice and we have to make our own decisions too. The good news is we can. They had heard the allegory given, how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven. They heard, as our passage puts it today in the message that was read a bit ago, a galloping camel going through the eye of a needle. What that's really saying is, it's so easy if you have a lot of wealth to allow your wealth to satisfy every area of your life to the point that you marginalize God, you put him out, you don't really need him. For why do you need to call on God when you can call the phone line somewhere down the way and get a hold of somebody who can respond to you? You don't need God, you think. But one day we all die, and the rich have tried to pay ways of healing to extend their life a few more days or hours, and have not been able to do that because they're looking for an answer to this. And so they hear this, and they say, we're chopped liver. Who can really make it into heaven? What's going on with this? They didn't say chopped liver, but it was close. Verse 25, they questioned the ability to receive eternal life. They said, how in the world can this? And Jesus says, with you and your works, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's a familiar rhetorical statement. The angel said that to Mary, and we should remember that in our own lives today. With God, all things are possible. Let's say it together. With God, all things are possible. Whatever you face this week, whatever you face next week in the raising or in the decision you make at your place of employment, the colleges, the whatever you're going through, with God, all things are possible. He can do exceedingly more than we could think. And so they lay their lives down for him. Verse 27, they've renounced everything to follow Jesus. They've given up everything to follow him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I want you to know you're going to receive a major significant award in heaven. You're going to receive something that's going to be bigger than just stuff you could accumulate while you live in this short venue called life. You're going to go to eternal life, and that's where real living takes place. And you're laying up for yourselves treasures there. Warren Wearsby writes it this way, whatever good things they had forsaken for the sake of Christ would be returned to them a hundredfold. Powerful. In other words, they were not making sacrifices. They were making investments, but not all the dividends they would receive in this life. They're going to receive them in the next life. And the young man, he chose greed. And the disciples here, they chose God. We don't hear a lot more about the greed and the guy throughout the scripture. But we hear a lot more from the disciples who lived a long life. And 
some of which is recorded in the Scriptures as they shared with us insights and biblical understanding that they have given to us about how we are to live our life. Sidney McLaughlin, Olympic star and gold medalist, setting another world record. She said this, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, she said, but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. You see, when you give it all to Jesus, he'll give you everything you need to make it through this life, to make it through this life, and to have life in him is to have abundant life. And eventually, you're going to have eternal life in heaven. This is not eternity. We are not in heaven yet, as Field of Dreams at. The disciples wholeheartedly went after Jesus, and that's what I'm calling you to do today. But this rich young guy, he believed in God with his head, but he did not embrace God in his heart. I say that he missed heaven by 18 inches. Will you let a few inches keep you out of heaven? Why not give God not just your mental assent because the devils believe and tremble, but why not do like the disciples and give him your life and say all for Jesus? I want to give you the tale of two singers. If you've ever heard of Elvis Presley, say yes. yes. If you've ever heard Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley, say yes. yes. Oh yeah, you've heard of Elvis. Elvis was a superstar, vocalist, musician, icon, and some of you still think he's alive. <laughs> His wife does not. 25 years after Elvis died, after Elvis died he was 42 and he died of, of um, drug dependency and obesity. But he was 42 years old. He was married to Priscilla. 25 years later... He had an album that was top of the charts. And maybe you have that album or had it or heard it. Priscilla said this as they talked to her about it in an interview. She said he never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose was in life. He thought he was here for some reason, aren't we all? He thought he was here for some reason, maybe to preach. He grew up in a Methodist home praying mother, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. Second singer, George Beverly Shea. He died just a handful of years ago. He lived to be 104 years old. That's old. He too grew up in a Methodist home. Beverly Shea was a young man and he said this and I heard in an interview. He said, when you're a young person, there are choices to be made. <laughs> so you have a whole world of opportunity. Choices to be made. His mother came into the room where he was. He was sitting at the piano, and she handed him the lyrics 
of a poem written by Rhea Miller. Rhea Miller, a writer. George Beverly Shea is a guy that Billy Graham would ask to join him. Shea was better known than Graham was at that time, and Shea said, okay, I'll join with you, and so he did, and the rest is history. They went all over. But his mother handed him the poem, and sitting at the piano, he began to play the melody that came into his mind and heart. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Elvis died and was buried. Shea lived and sang to more people, 220 million, than any other artist in the history of the world at the time he lived. Sang in 180 plus nations and helped change the world for eternity. As a young person, you have a lot of choices to make. I don't know the choices you'll choose, but I know this. You get the decision. You get the decision, and it is all yours. Your mom and dad cannot do it. And your grandparents cannot do it. But you can do it. And you will do it. Because not to choose is to choose. When I was a young man, I thought I was going to be a welder. I wanted to weld. I thought I would, and so I just settled that would be what I did. I took a couple of years of training for it. And I wanted to have my own business. And I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to drive new cars and live in a very nice house. Those were goals that I had set for myself. I wanted to be number one business in my area because I don't like to do things halfway. That was my goal. And I realized God was calling me to something else. I also played baseball. I was not a superstar, but people around me told me, they said, you could have gone somewhere with that. I don't know if I could have or not. I felt a call in the ministry after I graduated from high school. And I said, God, I'll do it. It was just a simple call, one word, preach. I said, okay, I'll do it. I remember telling my folks, we're moving to Pennsylvania with our kids. It was major grieving. They loved us deeply. We had a great family. 
Grandkids would not celebrate birthdays at their house. We would not be sitting at the table for many of their anniversaries and birthdays that they celebrated. Funerals would come and go, and we would not be able to make it back on the drop of a hat. I remember as a young minister sitting one day in Columbia, Missouri, thinking, oh my goodness. I've given up every weekend of my life to be a minister. I'll have very few weekends off in my life. I, at that time, was making poverty-level income, literally. Too proud to take food stamps. I started mowing grass for my brother at the business I had sold him. I had to recommit my call. And coming halfway across the nation among people I did not know for a calling that I felt was clear in my heart, I am no martyr, but I can tell you I had to choose greed or God. And this passage has been one of my North Star passages my entire ministry. Because this passage has helped me follow after him with no reserves, no regrets, and no retreats. I don't want you to feel sorry for me at all because great is my reward in heaven. I'm going to be living in a pretty big place with a pretty loud speaker system. And I'm going to be sending up some heavy-duty praise. You can drop by once in a while, but then you got to go to your house. Because in my Father's house are many places. And he said he would prepare one for me too. And I keep telling him, I'm doing what I'm doing for you. All for Jesus. Going over to Tamaqua, burned over area, looking around to plant another church. Looking for you. Oh, don't go there. It's too burned over. They need the gospel so bad they can't see straight. Go over into Nazareth. Do they? God, are you saying something? Go down to Neutropoli or Neutripoli. Some of the names. They're wonderful. I lived in Catasauqua. Who names a place Catasauqua? Caddy. I know I could call it Caddy because it couldn't spell Catasauqua. <laughs> Every time I call somebody back home, I say, wait, I'm going to mail this to you. Tell me where the address is. Oh, man. It's to get the gospel to another family, to another family, to another heart, to another heart, to another heart. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Will you follow him in your, his calling for you? Or are you going to kind of mail it in and duff it and just coast? Da, 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 da. You can do that. A rich guy did. We don't hear from him again. The 12 did. And guess what? They're going to be ruling in the future. And you will rule too if you follow him. Do it humbly. Do it with confidence. Do it on purpose, with purpose. All for Jesus. Jesus.